Алекса, стоп. Это подкаст about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave and Jim Bowles. Welcome to Alexa Stop. It's not a normal episode, though, today. It's something very, very different. Rob, what on earth are we doing? Well, Jim, we're joined by some very special people, our dear friends from Innovation Social, which is an amazing community in London that brings some of the brightest minds from the London scene together to talk about digital tech, innovation. We're going to be talking a bit about everything that's been going on at CES this year. This is a special series we're doing. We're going to cover a load of different topics. We've got some amazing guests, and we're joined in the studio today by Lawrence, Will, and Lee from the Innovation Social crew. Say hello, guys. Hello. Howdy. Hi, guys. And uh, tell us why you wanted to do this podcast. We wanted to do this podcast because we think your audience will be interested in some of the things we've got to say about innovation and technology. So I'm going to take us on a little tour of what the world of computational creativity means, whether computers can genuinely be creative or whether they just copy things like people on X Factor. And for my session, I'm going to be doing a bit of a deep dive, following off the back of CES, looking at kind of what's next. What can we look forward to in 2018 over the next 12 to 18 months? Welcome to Alexa Stop X Innovation Social. Here we are for a very special episode with our dear friend from the Innovation Social crew. And this episode is all about what's coming next with Will Harvey. Say hello, Will. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Very good. Thank you. Very good. And what are we going to be talking about today? We wanted to kind of kick off these Innovation Social podcasts by kind of doing a bit of a kind of future gazing on what's next. As we head into this kind of new year and coming off the back of one of the largest technology conferences in the world, CES, that's a kind of consumer electronics show, we wanted to pull together an esteemed panel of future thinkers to debate and dive into the next 12 to 18 months, discuss what's next and what are the trends that will be populating culture in 2018. Wow, that sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. But before we get going, Will, what was it like going to a tech conference where they couldn't keep the power on? So yes, that was a very interesting one. If you're not fully aware, CES was a massive conference. It's been going on for over 30 years. Um, And this year, there was a bit of a disruption. On the third day of the conference, there was a massive power cut. And it kind of then shows you how much you rely on electricity and power and what do people really have to do when uh, they are in this situation where they no longer can show off their wares and tears they have to be able to have a conversation and a lot of these conferences are massive kind of dark halls normally so it's suddenly you were dropped into this massive darkness and there was a lot of brands jumping off the back of it Intel did a very good job of being able to cope with this especially because their stand was kind of completely in the dark but it was very bizarre to be at a tech conference with no power and I, I saw on Twitter that people's phones got locked in the charging lockers that you put your phone in and you come back later with a code and get them out. And so people's phones were held to ransom by the lack of power. Let's hope we don't have a power cut today. But on that note, I think it would be a great opportunity to introduce our guests. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to rearrange the studio and we'll get cracking. OK, so like all good podcasts, I thought we should start by introducing ourselves. So hello, listeners. My name is Robert Belgrave. I'm the CEO of Warhive and the co-host of Alexa Stop. And here I am today with my partner in crime for this episode, Will Harvey. Will, please say hello to our listeners. Hello, listeners. Uh, My name's Will Harvey. I'm innovation lead for creative agency VCCP. I'm also an organiser of Innovation Social, which is a kind of affiliation of innovation leaders across agencies, brands and startup space. And we wanted to bring some fantastic guests together. 
So, Will, you've flexed your innovation network muscle to bring us three fantastic guests. And uh, maybe we could start by saying hello to Alex Jenkins. Say hello, Alex. Hi. Tell us a bit about you. What are you up to? So I am the editorial director at Contagious. Uh, Contagious is a company which helps people who work in marketing who are looking to try and get a competitive edge, either through creativity or innovation. Awesome. Um, What's the most exciting thing going on in technology, in your opinion, right now? Christ alone knows. I might have to... We'll come back to that. Yeah, come back to that. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know at all. And we are also joined by none other than Dean Johnson. Say hello, Dean. Hello, so I'm Dean Johnson, Head of Innovation at Brandwidth, and we are an innovation agency. So we create amazing content and solve problems and build things across almost any digital platform. And I wear lots of other hats, which usually involves design in some shape or form, from the British Fashion Council to the Chartered Society of Designers. And you're looking very fashionable today, I must say. Thanks. Uh, Which is a great segue to Victoria Buchanan, who has a background in fashion, I happen to know, as a previous guest. So how are you doing, Victoria? Say hello. Hello, everyone. Yeah, my name is Victoria Buchanan. I am a strategic researcher at the Future Laboratory, which is a trend forecasting agency. So it's my job to work with brands to help them understand what the future might look like. Fantastic stuff. Well, Will, you've chosen very wisely by the looks of it for our conversation points today. Uh, Alex, any thoughts on on the question? No? Yeah, probably AI. Probably AI. Big and broad. There you go. Glad we cleaned that up. Uh, Will, why don't you kick us off? What, What should we start with? Yeah, um, when bringing a kind of great selection of speakers together like this, I wanted to kind of do a bit of a deep dive into some really key topics and trends that we're really noticing in the industry and where it goes beyond just the kind of early adopters and actually being adopted by kind of the popular culture. So one of the big things that we everyone's kind of been talking about throughout 2017, and I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot in 2018, is around the area of smart assistants. We've got this whole thing of kind of Amazon Alexa and Google Home and, and a lot of other brands kind of coming into this space and thinking about this kind of smart assistants that are, that are no longer just being these kind of individual kind of hardware pieces that sit in our kitchen. But we saw at CES this year, a lot of this kind of smart assistants being baked into everyday products from cars to lights to fridges and even light switches. Um, I'd be great to hear from uh, Dean, who was obviously out at CES as well, about his thoughts on this kind of area of the smart assistants being baked into stuff. Well, CES last year was interesting because it kind of was the year of Alexa because it was everywhere. Um, and you know, it, was in, it was on every conceivable stand, whether it needed to be or not. Um, but as, as far as well, kind of the terms of AI, it's the interesting thing that gets people used to it. You know, it's not actually intelligent. Um, you know, these are all algorithms. They are responding to something that we're either giving it some kind of vocal command. But, you know, they're not that intelligent. But the thing is, we need to get people used to using it and being comfortable conversing with it. Uh, and that's that's the interesting thing. You know, we've always been used to just giving something a command by stabbing a button, typing in something. Um, when it becomes conversational, that's when it becomes something that we can relate to as humans. And that's a real key thing. However, if... They are not connected to the outside world. So this is another great thing about CES. CES, we had a power cut, which was, you know, that's quite exceptional. However, when you can't connect to the outside world on Wi-Fi or whatever phone signal you have, you realise where everything begins to fall down. So we are in that kind of transitionary period where we need to make sure the things that are trying to be intelligent are actually talking to something on the outside world. So it's a story we need to tell to get people involved. However, it all needs to connect. 
That's very interesting because, yeah, it's about that kind of conversational aspect of it. And you realize that these the smart assistants aren't really that smart just yet. They are getting there, but it's still a lot of kind of repeat back to kind of users. So um, that's a very interesting area. Kind of looking at this area of voice and kind of moving forwards, we're kind of built on an industry of kind of graphical user interface. Um, and then we're starting to move towards this viewy, which is the voice user interface. Brands are kind of, and organizations are wanting to experiment in this new space, but they've always been driven by very visual representations of themselves. Um, Victoria, I'd love to hear your thoughts potentially around how people are moving into the, how brands are getting involved and how do you, a brand find its voice in this new area of kind of spoken smart assistants? Yeah, so I think it's super interesting that we're now starting to move into the space where, you know, we're starting to interact via voice command rather than the kind of getting that visual, tangible feedback. I think for me, there will always be that role for that kind of graphical feedback because we are, as human beings, very visual and we can take in information so much faster using our eyes versus having to listen to something. And kind of as just mentioned there, you know, this idea that we're not kind of really at that point where the technology is smart enough to really have an intelligent conversation with us at the moment. So I think we're kind of at this tipping point. Um, but I think when we start to think about input, voice is much more powerful because we can talk much faster than we can actually type. So I think there's some really interesting points around, you know, when should you be using graphics? When do you need to have the kind of voice element and how that actually applies to that kind of smart device that you're using? Because it might be that you're in a kitchen, for example, and you're busy cooking. So you need that voice to help you set the timer and read out the recipe because your hands are busy. Versus, for example, if you're on the bus, you don't necessarily want to be kind of shouting out loud um, so there is kind of a space there to still have that visual screen, I think. And uh, personally, one of the things I finally got around to doing over the Christmas break was investing in some internet connected lights, which I know is like IoT beginner's kit. As a tech guy, it's a bit embarrassing to admit, but I thought, right, it's time. I'm going to invest in some Philips action and I'm going to hook it all up to my Alexa and I'm going to try not using light switches at all, right? And just try and do it all with voice. And it's just not good enough yet. You know, you find yourself screaming at your Alexa, trying to get the damn things, turn the lights on or off or whatever it is you're trying to do. And so... You know, there are things where maybe just a good old fashioned switch is still the best option. I don't know. And it's, you know, I think your cooking example is good, but it definitely seems to me like people are still doing a lot of things because they can and not necessarily because they should. And sort of to Dean's point about like, we're trying to get everyone familiar with it, but maybe actually in 20 years time when we're doing most things with voice, we will still have light switches, right? So Yeah, and I think that's why it needs the context because for example, if you set up one of those lights in your bathroom and you call that your bathroom light, if you have a friend come to visit, they have to know that that light is called the bathroom light. Exactly. So this is where it starts to kind of, it needs to actually almost have presence and recognize when people are kind of in that space and it can start to kind of, yeah, interact and preempt more of your behavior, I think. Yeah, I think that's a very poignant point that at the moment, even with the likes of Hue, they're actually bringing out smart light switches because there is still that human behavior that, that we can't necessarily force change, that people still want that tangible, tactical thing to be able to interface with these smart kind of devices. So as people start to populate these homes with these smart things, nice segue there, Rob, um, uh, we're starting to see this smart assistance being the real interface of the smart home. As we start to have things from connected dishwashers to connected doorbells to uh, our connected cars. Alex, what, what are your thoughts on this kind of ongoing smart assistance and the interface with a smart home? 
I guess, I mean, one of the interesting things, I think, which the other guys brought up was a lot of it isn't smart. It's actually, they're just dumb devices we've connected to the internet. And, you know, they don't know that, like, if I walk into a bathroom, I just want a light to come on. You can do that with a motion sensor. We don't need to put another internet-connected device in a room and have to talk to it to do it. And I think that, you know, as we said, you know, with just the power goes down, your whole home goes down. But if the internet goes down, do you not want to be able to, like, use your dishwasher? Like, do you want your doorbell to keep working? You know, they're not smart enough. I think the smartification of some of these things is there's probably a little bit of a because we can doesn't mean we have to, I suspect, in this area. There's nothing better than sitting in darkness on your sofa while your light's firmware update. I think that truly is 2018, <laughs> isn't it? Very interesting kind of deep dive into the, the kind of areas of this kind of smart home. But another thing that I was very keen to kind of talk to you guys about uh, is a little bit about the kind of this change we're seeing and the kind of transformation of transport. Um, we There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about autonomous vehicles, so driverless cars. There's a number of trials that are going on around the world and a number of organisations that are coming into this space, both from the likes of Google, trying to bring out their own kind of smart car system, as well as more established automotive partners like Ford, who spoke quite a lot this year about this automotive future. Dean, you've been doing some interesting stuff in the past in these kind of areas. What's your thoughts around this autonomous vehicle kind of stepping up a gear? Because it seems to really be really moving much quicker. So I'm just going to have to butt in there and comment on the exceptional pun that just took place. Sorry, Will, as you were. Thanks, Rob. Um, so, yeah, Dean, if you can tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that kind of air, kind of speeding up of the change of transformation of transport right now. Uh, yeah, well, the fascinating thing about mobility in general is that for those of us that create content, that work on platforms and create the platforms that can hold amazing content, we have an incredible head start here because the cars are not yet autonomous. We know that they will be over a certain number of years. They'll get more and more. They'll get closer to that nirvana where they're going to drive themselves, which is great unless you want to drive the car. Now, what that means is we're going from an environment where we couldn't be distracted by anything to the complete opposite, where we can be distracted by everything. So suddenly, whereas we have an office environment or we have the home connected environment, you know, we are used to those being places where we have screens surrounding us and all the things that we are either, either entertained by or informed by. Suddenly that car is, an, is the, the greatest design surface that we've ever had because it's not just that we will transfer the same things that we had outside the car. It's the thing that actually adds value to the pieces of technology and the platforms we already have that we can't quite justify. So VR is a great example. So at the moment, people either don't adopt it because it's too much like hard work. And that could be either financially, so they've got to invest in a PC that plugs into something else that's another headset, or it's just the fact that they just can't be bothered because they haven't got it with them. So suddenly you give someone a car, a mobility environment where there is a headset under the seat, and it's you know, that's done. That could be a box ticking exercise for options or whatever. It could be the thing that just turns up the Uber that arrives outside your house. And suddenly you put that headset on because it's easy rather than it's a stumbling block and it's a hurdle to doing it. So, you know, from there to the, the windows that surround us to the, you know, everything that sits in front of us, suddenly that environment is fascinating and it's also i say it's that head start whereas we don't want to be told by someone else that we should be making something and we know as creatives that we've got an incredible opportunity to think two three four years ahead where we can just determine the kind of environment that people will be mobilized in 
I think it's really interesting how, you know, Black Mirror, general sci-fi, the configuration of car seats is always four seats facing each other. Do you know what I mean? Like this sort of assumption that we have that you have two and two as rows because obviously you had to face forward to see where you were going as a driver, which kind of makes sense. You're not bound by that anymore. And so it all changes. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting how a car is probably going to resemble that of a, more like a living room in five years time. So It is, but also it's going gonna, it's gonna to highlight how uncomfortable we all are with each other. So if you spend three hours in a car staring at someone else, yeah, you're going to want to escape into VR, aren't you? Why have you turned your seat around, Dean? <laughs> you, can, you can flip it around, mate. You can face me, no? Oh, okay. Yeah, so kind of on what Dean's point is, the disruption that this potential future that we're kind of speeding towards at the moment, it, it's beyond just the transportation of individuals getting from point A to point B, but there are lots of other sectors and lots of other industries that are going to be disrupted. Victoria, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts around these other services and products that have evolved through this new automotive uh, transportation. Yeah, so I think it's useful to start with a bit of a statistic, actually. So I was reading last week that apparently when we now have access to these driverless cars, we'll actually free up almost 290 hours of time per year. So then we kind of start to think about what these spaces might look like. And we saw a lot of things at CES where people are starting to say, you know, they could become retail hubs where they're driving around cities, they're acting as, um, you know, almost like delivery systems for us. But Equally, they could become wellness spaces, they could become hospitality. Um, So I think it's really interesting when we start to think about, yeah, what the use of these um, cars might actually look like when we're not just using them to kind of get from A to B anymore. Toyota this year announced a kind of uh, future vision of the e-pallet, which is a transportation vehicle that has multiple different purposes. It could be a retail store, it could be a local kind of bus for multiple people, or you could reserve it to get long distance rides and stuff like that. So we're seeing this multi-uses around these kind of vehicles. I think this is one of these things which is probably a trend which is worth looking at kind of all the contextual factors around it a little bit. So if you think about uh, what's happening with where people are living over the course of the next five to ten years, increasing urbanisation, more and more people living in cities. Um, And I think there's a stat from like the RAC which says like 96% of a car's time, its usage in its life, it's parked. It's not being used at all. You actually only use your car like 4% of the time you own it for, which kind of like hints at a bit of an access over ownership thing. Then something like about a third of all traffic in downtown San Francisco, roughly, is just people trying to look for a place to park. So that like autonomous stuff kind of like gets into that, all right, we can leave that and do it. But I think really what it points to, rather than like we're going to be in our own little autonomous cars, it probably just points to like really great public transportation, like really smart kind of on-demand, get you where you want to go. Um, I think the interesting thing which Victoria mentioned was the idea almost like retail place. I know, Will, you came to our most contagious event where we showed something called uh, the Moby Mart, which is a thing which is a concept which is actually out in sort of China at the moment, which is like an autonomous shop which will drive into your area and, you know, based on like what user demand is, what people need in the area, and you just go in and like, you know, buy stuff and it goes and it just drives off into another area where it's needed. I think that's where the interesting bit of autonomous stuff, but I think in terms of personal cars, for me, it's more points towards just like a really kick-ass public transportation system, which may or may not be autonomous. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly attest to the San Francisco problem, having rented a car and spent at least half of my trip there looking for parking space. Uh, and then on certain days, you can't park there because they clean the streets, which change day depending on where you are, which as a tourist is fantastic, let me assure you. But, you know, I've, I've driven a Tesla and I've done like a three-hour motorway journey and not touched the wheel. And even in that little snapshot you get this really 
kind of profound sensation of the time you're going to get back. And I know that that's the big thing that Elon always goes on about, right? Is the, you know, trying to crack traffic um, with all the stuff he's doing with the boring company in LA to try and, you know, put people in the ground and get them back up again on the other side of town and, and skip the traffic. He, he doesn't talk about anything really other than the time he's giving you back and how you know how big that is like the most precious thing we all have is our time on this little rock that we fly through the galaxy on and you know the more we can do to kind of enjoy rich experiences or do something constructive i don't know read a book learn a new skill speak to somebody you know face each other in the chairs dean well, i think the interesting thing probably <laughs> no. there is like when you think about legislation what's our, what they're actually going to let you do in a car like the closest thing we've got right now is probably pilots right who actually you genuinely use an autopilot but they're probably not legally allowed to stick a VR helmet on and, uh, you know, go off into another world. But, you know, if you're in a car, it may well be that, you know, certainly in the near future, that's probably what we're looking at. But it's like audio experience is probably like better radio may actually be like, you know, the battlefield we need to try and uh, win on in the short term. Here we are recording better radio. Perfect space for us to think about future podcast sessions that are just designed for the autonomous vehicle. We could do a whole one on that, I'm sure, for Alexa Stops. Whilst we're on the area of kind of the transformation of transport, obviously we're talking around the kind of traditional ground-based transportation. There was and there has been a number of companies looking at other forms of transportation around cities in the future, whether it's kind of flying cars where we've been promised from the Jetsons to um, looking at Hyperloop tubes that will get us from A to B. It would be great to get your guys' thoughts on anything particularly around these alternative different forms of transport now coming up that aren't just ground-based tech off of the kind of traditional four wheels. I can jump in on that one because I like to fly around with all sorts of weird and wonderful things. We've always looked for the time that suddenly these flying cars will be delivered for us. It's always been the thing from the Jetsons that we've always complained has never quite turned up. And it feels a little bit like we're jumping that now because to, to make conventional cars fly just seems like you're really forcing the issue. So there's some great examples around now where they're, they're kind of autonomous, human-sized drones. Because we are, as you know, a society, getting more used to the idea of Uber and downloading transport on demand. It kind of makes sense. I don't, I'm, I'm that, my, my little uh, proviso there, it kind of makes sense. Um, we, we, foolishly, I've, I've volunteered to man one of these drones in Dubai this year. Because um, Dubai are the only people at the moment who are letting anyone test them. I'm sure there's a safety reason I'm that sure no one else is letting anyone. However, you know, I'm up for anything. But it, that's still a one-man delivery system. Even an Uber will pick up kind of three or four people at a push. So we're a long way from that being mass transit. But the, the really interesting thing about autonomous travel is that we we see these visions of the future even when it's in like sci-fi movies and everything else everything seems to be fairly pedestrian in its speed they all kind of it's pretty relaxed and it all just moves around one of the greatest things about autonomous vehicles when they're moving at the speed that we move that's that's actually more enlightening as to what the future should be than when than it's simply driving. So the fact that it drives and will because it knows the size of a space that it's zipping into. No, so wherever this works, either on the ground in the air, they should be clever enough. They should be cleverer than us to know exactly the space they need to occupy. So it should be quicker than the speed that we move right now. So actually, that's that's even more efficient. So we talk about, oh, a three-hour journey, what, what time are we going to gain? Actually, you can probably halve that if it's being effective. 
Um, so, it, of course, we'll gain some time, but actually what we'll gain is almost that time travel, because in theory we should get there quicker, and when they're all doing the same thing, we haven't got the things in our way. So it becomes about more about that urbanisation and the smart city and everything else around us being clever rather than just the device. In this very studio, we interviewed Nick Earl, the SVP of Hyperloop, just before Virgin got involved. Um, if you haven't listened to the episode, I think it's episode six, oh, look, there's a train. I wasn't really a believer before we sat here with him. And after an hour, I was just completely blown away because that's their vision. They're not actually all that excited about the fact it's 800 miles an hour, point to point, which is quite exciting. You know, it's a spaceship in a tube. You know, that's pretty exciting, right? But that's not that's not it. They're excited about changing the way we design cities, changing the proximity of like where we live and work. They're also looking at freight and how all that works and like moving supply chains so that you can do manufacturing much further away and it's like it just changes everything, right? So I think you're absolutely spot on and the impact that autonomy and transportation is going to have is far more profound than simply making journeys a bit easier. Yeah, I think definitely that's a very good point about the idea of how this will impact the kind of environment that these these vehicles, these transportation forms will take and how we design these cities. This year at CES, Ford gave one of the opening keynotes and they didn't spoke, speak about any new form of technology, but an open language about being able to enable these smart cities to communicate with one another. Because I think at the moment we have a problem where this device doesn't talk to this device or my light bulb doesn't talk to my hue or all these kind of different things. But these different environments where these devices are becoming more efficient because they are talking to one another and they are cutting down these little little snippets of time here, there and everywhere to make a more efficient lifestyle for us will have a massive impact. And it'd be great to have your thoughts, any of you guys, from you, the, the idea of these kind of smart city environments that we're going to be moving into and the kind of environments that this could kind of embody. Yeah, well, it's hugely exciting to kind of think about these, you know, cities that live and breathe and kind of recognise us as we walk through them and drive our cars. But I think at the moment, we're still at least 10 years away from that type of technology. You know, if we look at London, for example, trying to connect London to all of that technology, you know, just doesn't feel like it's really going to happen in the next two or three years. Versus you've got cities now being built in the Middle East where they're building everything from the bottom up. So I think that's where we're going to start to, you know, see some of these um, really exciting technologies really coming to reality when you can start to just think about it without having to kind of hold on to those, you know, 21st century systems and that we now have inherited, I guess. I think that's a great point about, yeah, looking at these kind of like, Dean was talking about Dubai is enabling this kind of, from the ground up, it's they're putting infrastructure in rather than trying to slap it on top of existing environments, like looking at how buildings are positioned one another or how streets are laid out in a kind of grid-based or more flowing environment. It's, it's, it'll be fascinating to see where we go in this kind of future of the city space. And to kind of bring it a bit more kind of grounded back to where we are today and what's going on, I, I wanted to kind of get you the esteemed panel of speakers to feed in a little bit of a thought around this kind of idea of this kind of digital reality. Dean tapped a little bit on earlier about the idea of VR within the environment of the car, but we're seeing a lot of discussion around augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality throughout the whole of last year. It seemed like the biggest buzzword, VR, and we're now seeing a resurgence of things like augmented reality, which isn't necessarily anything new, but because larger brands and technology companies are building tools to enable people to make augmented reality experiences with ease. What are your kind of thoughts on this kind of area? Uh, Alex, it'd be great to get your initial kind of thoughts on the area. Uh, any particular bit of the area? 
I think AR, I think AR is a very fascinating space where it takes a tool beyond just doing a kind of gimmick of a technology to something that's more of a utility side of things and how people can really use it in the day to day. Yeah, I think, I mean, the stuff we've seen is, which is working well, is like pretty much that. It's, it's the tool stuff, but they're quite kind of short burst usage tools. I don't think... You know, if you go back a couple of years when, you know, Google Glass was sort of heralded as we'll all be wearing it and we'll have this constant kind of, you know, heads up display kind of just telling us stuff. That obviously never came to be at all. Um, I think the interesting stuff we're seeing are these, like I say, the short burst little utilities. There was a really interesting app from, it was made by Holition. I'm trying to remember. It was for a makeup brand. I think CoverGirl possibly did it called um, Wear the Look. No, God, I'm getting this wrong. Get the look. That was it. Where you could like scan anything, like you could scan like a, a magazine with like you know models face, and it would scan like someone else, and it would tell you how to get their look. It would then use AR to kind of Im- impose it onto your face. So you could see how you would wear that look yourself, and it's just those little short burst things. Like you know, we've seen like you know the IKEA stuff. Like look what this couch would look like in your lounge, but it's stuff which lasts like a matter of seconds. We're not seeing anything really uh, particularly big, kind of deep immersive stuff. I and mean, we've all probably saw like the you know the Magic Leap kind of release and how their you know their headsets sort of coming out but you're still kind of tethered to a little computer we're still going to be at like you know the the whim of you know whether you're on a decent wi-fi connection if not like the the data that you've got if you're out and about and once you're into those kind of like time scales you know you're kind of kind of locked into like you know cooper's law which is you know the guy who sort of invented the mobile phone it's basically like mobile data bandwidth doubles every i think it's 30 months so you kind of like in order to get the fidelity and the data and the amount of kind of uh sorry I'm just repeat myself the amount of data you require to actually get those kind of like visuals we're just not really there you know so um in conclusion i've kind of rambled quite a lot but i think we yeah, what we're really seeing is like the short burst stuff is kind of where it's at at the moment and probably will be for the rest of the year i think I think a lot of the stuff we've seen, like the IKEA Play stuff you mentioned, which is kind of something you show off to your friends and family as you kind of start getting it going. It wouldn't be something you constantly have in front of your eyes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This idea of kind of mixed reality seems to be a new term that's been coming up as we see these kind of multi-devices that work both as a, a VR immersive piece of headgear, but also an augmented reality piece where it has a contextual environment understanding. So it knows its environment that it's in. So it can be able to position the data a little bit more. Uh, Dean, it'd be great to get your thoughts on around the idea of MR and the kind of beyond just a visual based orientation, but the kind of haptic side of stuff, because I know you've played a little bit in this kind of area of haptic feedback and, and sensory suits. You've got to know my views on the term mixed reality, surely, and the fact that it's augmented reality and there's virtual reality and people use MR when they want to lay claim to another reality because it's Microsoft and basically they created a HoloLens AR headset and went, we're going to call it mixed reality because it's better than AR. It's AR. You're not sceptical, are you? No, I, actually, I'm, well, I'm going I'm to expand on all of this way over time. Um, okay, look, so the, the XR is, is, is the one exception that I'll allow simply because it's the idea of extended reality and it just covers all of them. Um, so from my immersion suit, which is the full haptic Tesla suit, full body haptics, um, through to a helmet with everything built in, which is, you know, the point of that is not to say this is what everyone's going to be wearing. 
no one in their right mind is going to be wearing that. So I guess I've put myself in the bracket of not being of a sound mind. However, it's about pushing the boundaries. It's about knowing what we add to those extended versions of reality um, to immerse ourselves further and further and further. So just put on a VR headset, and if you've never seen it before, that's amazing. But then you then start to ask, well, what's next? How do I go deeper into that so that it becomes more and more believable? So you add those other things. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna t- take a bit of a tangent about talk about AR here. Um, so I'm going to play devil's advocate and say I think there are two timelines for AR. So the natural technical timeline and evolution is we go, right, however, 10 years ago, whatever, further back than that, we were looking at webcams and people popping out of magazine covers. This is not new. So every Pokemon Go came back again, and everyone's like, hey, AR, this new amazing thing. Um, that's on your phone. So then everyone's like, of course, you know, Magic Leap. Everyone will be wearing a headset. This is still the technological evolution of that. Because naturally you think, I'm going to take it off my phone, and I'm going to be looking at all of this stuff. Now we look at the other timeline, which is the social version of that, which is like Google Glass, when everyone said, I'm not going to wear those. And we are going to get to that stage where everyone just says, I'm not going to wear those. I'm looking around a room here and no one is wearing glasses. 3D TV did not work because people didn't want to sit on their sofa wearing glasses that they did not have to wear. Now, I'm, I'm the greatest believer in technology. I'm also the greatest believer in adding value and adding value to us as humans. Now, that experience is one thing, but you have to justify why you want to stick something on your face. Um, so the, the AR dual timeline is really tough and I'm not saying which way it's going to go but I'm just saying that people have to question it at every stage to just merely evolve the technology does not mean people will adopt it. Do you think the contact lens is where it finally starts or the implant maybe? Do you think that's the the jump because there's no visual thing you have to put on your face which is quite an intrusive thing to do I agree yeah yeah but that is the jump and it's a big jump because again if you don't wear glasses and you're asking people to put contact lenses in that's a that's a tough that's a physical thing rather than the social thing because you're kind of moving away from the fact that you'll feel like you're wearing them or someone else knows you're wearing them but it's when it becomes in head that it becomes really interesting and that becomes the thing that doesn't require you to do something other than have something embedded in your head other than the terrifying prospect of (laughs) embedding a computer in your head yeah i'll be up for it leaving that to us so would i leaving that to one side you know i don't think it's for everyone right so it's it's, and you know we talked about we talked earlier about like trying to get people used to turning their lights on with their voice i think the challenge of getting people used to like seeing social media feeds in the world around them and uh, all the other dystopian things that might happen is uh might be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, think your lights on and off, and on and off, and on and off. And how irritating would it be to be filled with a room full of people, all of whom could just say, I didn't do it. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing that terrifies me is advertising. I just, I have this horrible, horrible dystopian vision of people who can't afford the premium implant. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to pay for the app, right? So you get the one with the ad support and you're just like walking down the road and there's adverts everywhere and you can't get away from it. And I don't know, it's definitely a Black Mirror episode, but... And we can have a whole episode of, of this just about sex as well, can't we, all right? Well, well what do you reckon? <laughs>
We might have to save that for next time, but definitely there's an area that is a very keen interest right now for a lot of people in the kind of sex tech space. Just to kind of, on the back of that kind of Google Glass thing about the social impact, I, I can completely support that. I, I was one of these kind of early adopters playing around with Google Glass. I wore it solidly for a month in various social environments from wearing it out to go to the pub, going to clubs, going to family occasions, and it became this big barrier. This technology was a barrier between me and the people around me. People changed their interactions with me straight away because I had this big chunk of tech right in their face and they were very hesitant to be very open and uh, conscious of what they were saying to me because there was this camera in their face constantly they don't know if it was filming or wasn't filming but it became a big barrier that I learned about when I was playing around with that kind of cyborg bit of tech that was on the side of my head. She will can I ask you a question when you wore it for a month did you get any value out of it? I think the 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 value of not pulling my phone out every five seconds, being able to have basic kind of contextual information that was promised with the Google Vision when they first launched Glass. It was like, as you walk around, it tell you where bookstores were and how you find the nearest metro. It was getting there, but because it didn't really have a full understanding of the environment, of surfaces, it was just displaying basically my phone screen in front of my face. It didn't give me a context of the environment that I was actually in. I'd have to give it a command. So there was somewhat value to it, but nothing more that would have I would have been able to get from just pulling my phone out of my pocket. I feel I have to add for credibility's sake that there isn't I'm not dismissing enterprise in this. I'm talking consumer because in enterprise we will wear things on our head because it will be part of the jobs that we do. Um, so that's where it works. Any any of this. Yeah, we've seen a massive resurgence with Google Glass kind of positioning themselves around the enterprise environment, being, being able to enable people to bring that data, uh, being hands-free and what that can be potentially help them out with. Going back to kind of the, the idea of digital realities and these environments, we are all storytellers. And these new tools of these, whether it's an AR or a VR uh, piece of tech, it, it, it enables you to tell a story in so many more interesting ways. Um, it'd be great to get your thoughts, Victoria, around how people are evolving their storytelling techniques as they move and use these new tools at, at their hands. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about AR that, you know, in the last six months, I would say, even just on Twitter, you know, you see these examples of people starting to experiment with how we might be able to use this technology and actually some really creative stuff happening where you kind of look at these versions of um, technology that they're creating and you see, you know, the some of the ones that I've seen have been things like the kind of treasure hunt where you can kind of go around the city and unlock different things and um, leave things for your friends in different environments or kind of move pictures from walls into another space and then you can only unlock it if you can kind of give your friend access to it. So I think once, you know, it needs that design lens applied to it because a lot of brands are just using it as tool so I saw a wine brand just use using a kind of augmented reality label where you would scan the label and it gives you this piece of kind of storytelling but do you really want that every time you're opening a bottle of wine on a Friday night so I think again it's really about using this type of technology to kind of empower that storytelling when consumers are really looking for that so Chanel last year had an exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery and the whole exhibition you could use augmented reality to kind of unlock different parts of the exhibition which which actually worked really well because when you're in that space, you want to discover, you want to know more about the brand. So it made sense to kind of be using that technology in that space. But, you know, I've seen other examples where people are saying in the future, you'll walk around the supermarket and have your augmented reality app. You know, do you really want to be doing that in that instance, I think? 
it's an interesting, like just weirdly like specific, like physical thing going on as well. I remember a year or two ago, we interviewed the guys at RGA in New York who'd made uh, a virtual reality thing for Volvo around the launch of the XC90. Um, and uh, so the idea was, you know, you could, you know, sort of put your Google cardboard up to your head and like go on a car ride as if you're in this car, which hadn't actually been built and released yet. And uh, they said, oh, they'd, they'd prototype the whole thing in Oculus. So it was a great experience. And then, of course, it was released to the masses with Google Cardboard. And they said what they didn't realize was actually just physically holding your hands up in front of your face. It was kind of tiring for people. Like, no one really wanted to do it for, for a particularly long period of time. So even though the experience lasted probably longer, people's hands went down. The same like the AR stuff. You don't want to walk around with like a phone or a tablet just constantly like a you know, sort of 90 degree angle to you. And just thinking about like these things. So in terms of like storytelling, you know, an actual like comfortable experience is kind of kind of a weird thing you probably have to think about as well. Even some like the frame rates just make people nauseous on this stuff over a you know a length of time. I think this thing about friction, right? I think it's always a challenge with emerging technology is till it's really, really polished and slick, there's always this sort of you know, slowly declining friction, right? As the tech gets more mature. And like my view on the AR, VR, MR, you know, whatever you want to call it, space, all of the above, frankly, is it's all still pretty immature. And so I think from a design and creative point of view, people are still figuring out how to curate the experiences so they work. But I think just the, the kit, right, that's involved is still a little bit clunky. And I think Google Glass was a really good example of that. I maintain if Google had bought Ray-Ban, which at the time would not have been hard for them to do, and had put Google Glass on a pair of Wayfarers, it would have smashed it, right? Now, I might be wrong, given the fate of Snap Glasses, and, you know, they but they weren't quite as full-featured. But I still think, you know, I don't have kids, but all of my friends who have kids said the ability to constantly record their kids using what they saw to catch those moments on its own was enough to buy Google Glass and wear it all the time, right? One of our non-exec directors has got these amazing videos from his Google Glass that he had, he wore for about six months, like Will kind of tried it, just playing football with his son on, on the lawn. And it is amazing, right? It's, an, it's a perspective you just don't get. So it's like there are these little snapshots of genius and brilliance, like the XC90 experience, so nearly good, like just, you know, 90% there. And it'll be really interesting, I think, over the next year five years ten years however long it takes them as they start to slowly kind of get that friction down to a more manageable level whether it does really take over and on that note that same guy told me after the christmas break that he was playing skyrim on his psvr uh, and it was so immersive that he spent you know hours and hours in it despite the fact he bought it for his son and it turns out that life's better as a wizard so um maybe it's not as far away as we all think I don't know how I can top that life as a wizard that's really quite a, a, a poignant way to kind of end the, the kind of podcast um just to kind of wrap up with you guys it'd be great to get just a one-liner on the we're heading into 2018 we've got south by southwest coming up and a number of different things and because the change of culture is is ever evolving there's always stuff going on what excites you that people should really be kind of keeping an eye on that we haven't maybe touched on today over the next kind of 12 to 18 months that might be worth just keeping an eye on true so one of the things that I guess I'm really excited about is seeing I think technology move into a more sensory space so you know we're seeing the shift into voice which is kind of one part of that but I think we also need to think then about how you know things like haptics things like scent then start to play into that experience mobility is the platform of the future and sex is the surprise content wow okay then yeah, that was gonna happen but that on a t-shirt definitely
Alex? Uh, I think the one I'm still excited about, which I know gets a little bit of flack because it's a bit of a buzzword, is AI. I think the potential for AI, it's where like digital was, you know, when digital first came out and people were like, how do we do digital? The, the possibilities are so, so expansive. We haven't even begun to think about it in any great sort of impact, how it, what it means for brand stuff. I think one area I'm really excited about, as you know, is computational creativity and where we can go with this stuff. The ability for computers to like, not just create stuff, but I think the more immediate area they're getting really good at is evaluation. I think if I worked in a creative industry, um, the ability for computers to evaluate and advise on creative work, I think is really something we could get right involved in the next 12 months. Perfect. And on that note, I'd like to say thank you very much to Rob and the guys and all my fantastic guests for coming along today and being part of this kind of experimental crossover between Innovation Social and Alexa Stop. So thank you very much to my lovely guests and Rob. Well, Alex, Victoria, Dean, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful thing. Thanks for listening.